This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. In two days, Audible is going to be doing something quite unique. There are releasing, debuting a 10-part series which explores the life of Tamika Houston, who is a 24-year-old black woman from Spartanburg, South Carolina. She went missing in 2004. Her case became a rallying cry for missing black women throughout this country, and it led to a demand to expose a system that ignores us. Finding Tamika, produced and written by Erica Alexander, uh, along with Tamika's aunt, who was here, and hopefully she'll be back. But let me welcome back Erica Alexander. Hello. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Always great to see you, Karen. You look wonderful. Happy New Year. Happy Black Black Month. Happy Women's Month. <laughs> you already know. Everyday Black history, everyday women's history, everyday Kwanzaa. You know Kwanzaa, that's right. All Come of that. On. Now you've been you've been doing a lot of things. It's Tech Tuesday. I want to talk to you about NFTs. I'm like, oh, Erica's coming on. I want to talk to her about the geopolitical mess that we're in right now because you got a oh, you, you are you are involved uh, and always you you're you're very well read. How did you get involved with this project? And we got you know Kevin Hart and a bunch of others uh, also involved. How, tell me tell me this origin story. Sure. Um, about two or so years ago, maybe even earlier, there was a man that I knew named David Person. And he's a journalist that had written for in his um, Alabama regional paper and also USA Today. I'd done an event for him and it was a woman's event about um, rape and that type of thing. And he remembered that we met and he got in touch with me and he talked to me about Rebecca's story. Rebecca Howard is the aunt of Tamika, Tamika Houston. The show that we did, the series is called Finding Tamika. And Tamika Houston was a young woman um, who just shy of her 25th birthday, went missing, and then was later 15 months found dead in, in, um, in a forest. Um, uh, parts of her, because parts of her had been cut off and that sort of thing. And he asked me, uh, would I be interested in telling this story? And I said, I absolutely would be. I didn't know what I could offer, but I'd like to try. Um, and so we started talking to Rebecca and uh, Color Farm Media, which is my company, me and Ben Arnon, we started to say, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story, how can we tell it? And just at that time, audio was blowing up, at least for me, maybe not for someone like you, um, and people were finding their way into it. So we started taking it around, seeing if it could be its own podcast. And people were interested, but no one pulled the trigger. I had talked to Charlemagne the God earlier about my reparations documentary. And he called me in 2020 and said, Queen, do you wanna do a podcast on my new network, The Black Effect on the reparations um, documentary doing or something around reparations? I said, sure, why not? We do it as a companion piece. And so we did. And then um, he remembered that I pitched him two things. And one of them was finding Tamika. And he said, you know, I have a new deal with Kevin Hart and Audible and it's, it would be an Audible original. Um, let's do it there. And they moved and suddenly we were talking with Audible. SBH Production is their production company. And we had what's called an Audible original series. And that's what we started to do. And it's now out. Oh, I thought it debuted in two days because I went on Audible to download it. And it was like, it's not no, out. It, it, meaning it's now out, meaning in two days okay, on the third went, debut. I was like, I'm downloading this. Yes. Yeah, so no, March 3rd, we'll be able to get it because I got 10 free credits right. with my Audible account. So this is going to be one of the things that I definitely download. 
how is it different than pod? Because it's like fifty eleven million podcasts, right? And everybody has you know a series here and a series there. What's the experience? Because Audible is is a unique platform. You know, those of us who love books and we love to read, you know, we're we're used to the cadence and the flow of an Audible platform. How 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 did they? How did you put it together for them? And what will we experience? Uh, tracing the story of Tamika Houston. Sure. So the idea of an Audible original is to make a very high quality um, narrative experience. So it's not necessarily an audio book or what we call a traditional podcast. In fact, we tried to create something that was more, um, well, it's a true crime story and that's the real story of it. And that's Rebecca Howard and um, Tamika Houston's involvement in the true story and the family and the participation of the friends. And then there's the narrator, me, and um, James T. Green, who is our executive producer on Molten Heart, and she, he came with the whole sound um, team, and they are phenomenal. We wrote around that a story, and we made called it a noir ghost story with a true crime spine. Mm. And that's what we tried to create as a, a sort of I mean, a way that we wanted to listen to this, but also create something new around it and tell her story and not just about her death and her murder, but about her life, about who she was, create a three-dimensional person. And it turned out that Tamika was very much still inside of her own story, talking to people as a spiritual presence. And so that's how we do it. And so that's what you'll hear. You hear the true crime story, you hear the noir version of it, and noir classically is told um, about um, the past coming up to haunt you again. Um, she's the te- detective, she's the femme fatale. She's also the hero in it. And so she plays different parts and I go along and try to keep up with her and find out that it might be difficult for me to accept uh, being in that space and I'm not really comfortable, which was all true. It was all true and that's what you get. You get a real experience of my mm-hmm. experience of going deep diving into a very tragic hard story, but then finding the love and the power of Tamika that rises way past any dimension to come and have a voice again. Let's let's bring in the love and the power of Tamika through her aunt uh, who is with um, us today. Uh, let me welcome co-producer of Finding Tamika, which will be available on audible in two days march 3rd let me welcome rebecca howard welcome thank you so much for having me karen i really appreciate it oh this is uh important because you're right you know natalie holloway goes missing everybody you know 24 hours a day and it's you know uh petito we just had uh, another situation it's like 24 hours a day black women and girls go missing every day in this country and we never hear about it ever so let's spend a little minute with, uh, more than a minute with Tamika. Who was she? Who is she? Oh, t- Tamika was the, she was just like the star of our family. She was such a, like a bubbly, effervescent personality. We were only seven years apart. So she was much more like a little sister to me than a niece, I would say. Um, and she's missed every day. Tamika had such a kind heart and soul she would open up like her she's the type of person who would literally be down to her last dollar but if she saw a homeless man out on the street and this is going back to childhood like would want to give it away and that's the type of young woman that Tamika was um ultimately I think her desire to to see the best in everyone 
despite some of the, you know, neon signs that were flashing at her, that maybe she shouldn't be so trusting or think that everyone, that she could save everyone, ultimately probably led to her death, essentially. Um, which is, I think, you know, Erica and I talk often about um, the messages that we want to come from finding Tamika. And one of them is, you know, to, to be careful as Black women, who do we open ourselves up to? Because there are dangers out there, um, which is very important. So I, I'm just really proud to, to have the opportunity to still keep Tamika's legacy alive and to make sure that her relatively short life of only 24 years has a greater purpose beyond the time that she spent here on this earth. The true crime, um, something happened to her. She's not here. Yeah. What, yeah. what happened? Well, um, it took us a long time to figure that out for ourselves, about 15 grueling months. In May, 2000, late May, 2004, um, around Memorial Day, Tamika suddenly disappeared. And she was in a unique situation in that she was getting ready to go back to school. She um, wasn't working full time at the, when she did disappear. She was a young woman living alone. She owned her own home. And she didn't have anyone who was gonna account for her not showing up to work or not showing up to school or not coming home on a particular day. So it was several days that actually went by before we realized in our very large family that Tamika hadn't been um, heard from. And it was a former boyfriend who I lived, I live in Miami and a former boyfriend who I knew reached out to me and said, Hey, I haven't heard from Tamika. Have you, I knew that they had recently broken up. So I was thinking that he was perhaps using this as a ploy to kind of get me to talk to him, you know, but eventually, you know, several, a few days, I would say, of trying to get in touch with Tamika, and she wasn't responding to anyone in our family. And then, you know, panic sets in when it starts going to voicemail. It was terrifying. So we reported Tamika missing, and we really, the case was pulled from the onset. Um, I immediately, I reported her missing over the phone. I caught a flight by the next day I was on my way to Spartanburg, South Carolina. I needed to be face-to-face -face with investigators because oftentimes, especially with, you know, missing adults, there is a tendency to say, well, you know, they're adults, they have, a, they could be off on their own, you know, we're not in the uh, habit of trying to find missing adults who want to be missing. Um, but I had to convince them and I knew my presence was needed in order to do this. I needed to be in someone's face. And I, that's exactly what I did. I sat in the uh, uh, Spartanburg Public Safety Department's office and I insisted that I needed them to write, to issue a press release. Cause even the local media who I, I know, I, I'm a publicist, that's what I do for a living. I, you know, I reached out to them and they wouldn't even really run with the story at first cause they wanted confirmation from the police department that it was an active missing persons case. So I was like, I have, you know, I have to sit here until you put out this statement from, from you all, I'm not leaving. And, you know, to this day, the lead investigator says that's what he remembers. That was his first impression. There's a woman mm -hmm. sitting in your office that won't leave. And, um, you know, so that we got the ball rolling on the investigation. Um, Karen, I think that uh, local media soon, once the police put out a statement, uh, they responded pretty quickly and very were helpful. But 
once a couple of days went by, I knew that it was critical to cast as wide a net as possible because Tamika could have been anywhere. I had no idea. She was, uh, it wasn't unlike her to get in her car and take a road trip. We have family up and down the East Coast. She could be anywhere. So I knew that I needed national media attention. By the time I started reaching out to the networks and you know, you and I, we've all seen the coverage. We, this, Tamika's disappearance predates Natalie Holloway. They were, they were you know, missing at the same time, but we had lived through uh, Lacey Peterson. Yeah. We had lived through Chandra Levy. We had become accustomed to seeing these young white women um, be covered in such a way that I think I naively assume, hey, I have the contacts. I know how to pitch a story. I know how to uh, call a news desk. I, I have all the tools. I have the contacts. I think I naively thought everyone's going to, you know, be just as enthralled and interested in Tabika's story. And that just was not the case. It was months, months before um, I got any hits from national media. And beyond the media, the police, you know, I was thinking about Lauren Smithfields in Connecticut and the police officers there were suspended because the parents, if not for the parents, you know, who were like, something happened to our daughter. You're going to do something about it. Thank God for social media where we no longer have to worry about media, 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 because people can go straight to the audience and we can share. Um, that's very powerful. Erica, what do, you, what do you say about the police dropping the ball on this case? Well, actually, it turned out that they were very helpful and continue to be helpful all the way through. I think that what we usually um, think is that they're not going to take this seriously. But I, I, we found and I found and Rebecca also said that the Spartanburg Police Department, Major Lamb was his name, uh, took this on like it was their own um, uh, family member. And they stayed not only in touch with them, but also... Um, have stayed in touch over the years, but Rebecca can speak more to that. Would it have been the same if Rebecca hadn't rolled up on them like that? You know, I would say That's a good question. one of the key uh, experiences that I came away from when I was dealing with this over the case of 15, uh, over the course of 15 months was that it is 100% absolutely necessary to be an advocate for your missing loved one. So when we, you know, when you talk about Lauren, absolutely, her family needed to persuade uh, police there in Bridgeport, Connecticut, that, you know, she needs to be seen. This needs to be taken seriously. You, you absolutely do need to be an advocate. And I think part of the reason why the department was so receptive is because I was a very strong advocate for Tamika. But in addition to that, one thing that I learned is the importance of facilitating a positive relationship with law enforcement. Because in cases like these, you know, I had one sister, Holly, who would get, my older sister, Holly, would get um, very uh, worked up about when things went slow. And to me, Holly would be like, I'm, I want to call them up. You know, I, and I knew the energy that she would bring to that situation is not the energy that we needed. Mm. Because oftentimes with missing persons cases, it's so easy for those investigators to put those cases aside, especially when you're dealing with small departments. It's not like we're talking about the NYPD here where they have uh, entire unit, you know, an entire unit uh, put aside to, to investigate. Yeah. yeah, you know, a small, you know, small police departments like Spartanburg, like Bridgeport, if they have a murder that happened last night, that, that takes precedence because they actually have a body 
as opposed to you know looking for a missing adult who they're not even sure is missing. So it was really important to maintain a positive relationship. And I did everything I could uh, to humanize Tamika to them. I talked about her you know, in present tense and I talked about what type of person she was to the point where I think that they felt that they had a vested interest because they liked me. I think they got to know Tamika through me. And these are the types of things that I always want and, and I have impressed upon families who are going through such an ordeal as this one. It's difficult to do, but it is very critical. And if you don't have a family member who can step up and play that role, there are advocates out there that will do that for you. Mm. Um, like the Black and Missing Foundation, you know, Derricka Wilson, she's a former law enforcement, one of the founders, former law enforcement agent. She and her sister-in-law, Natalie, have done just tremendous, tremendous work in this area. And it is very important. It's a great question. Um, and it's, it's really important for, for families to be educated on it. We're talking with Rebecca Howard, who is the aunt and co-producer of Finding Tamika, which will be debuting March 3rd in a couple of days on Audible. It's an Audible original. It is true crime. It is a ghost story. It is all of the things. Erica Alexander is the writer and producer and the narrator. When did they find Tamika? When did they find 15 months passed? Yeah. Where did they find, uh, how did they find her? Um, this is, it was a lot of twists and turns in the story. And, and eventually, you know, they narrowed in on a suspect. Um, his name was Christopher Hampton. It was a relatively new, um, acquaintance of Tamika. So we, we had never met him. We weren't even aware of this person. Um, only, you know, her best friend had met him in passing one time. Um, but eventually, uh, there's a, you know, there's a lot of steps to get to this point, but they, they arrested him on an outstanding warrant as they built a case. The day he was to be released from, from uh, custody for that outstanding warrant, um, they picked him up. They brought him in for questioning in the case. And within um, a couple of hours, he, he, uh, he admitted what he did. He confessed to the crime and he led police to her remains, her partial remains, I would say. What happened? What, what did he say happened? Why did he do this? Well, a difficult part of the story is, you know, us as family members, as loved ones, we had to rely upon the man who killed her to tell us an, an accurate story uh, of what happened. And unfortunately, uh, over the years, his story has changed. You know, he says there was a disagreement over like a small sum, of, like to be asked him to, to loan her some money, a small amount of money. And he, he got very angry and hit her in the head with a, a hot iron. He was um, ironing his clothes for work when this argument happened. But it, if it was an accident, I mean, several hours, but I mean, he, he, instead of calling, you know, a normal person, an accident, you're enraged, something, he, you know, heat of the moment, something happens, you call 911, but that's not what he did. You know, um, he stuffed her in a closet left her there probably if not overnight it's hours where we don't know if Tamika was killed instantly we'll never know if she bled out in that closet we certainly we just will never know because we're relying upon Christopher Hampton to tell us what her last hours were like you said the partial remains so what did he do with the body 
So after taking uh, Tamika out of the closet, he uh, drove around apparently for several hours in the trunk uh, with Tamika in the trunk of the car. Um, he buried her in a remote area of the woods in, in a town called Duncan, South Carolina, which is adjacent to Spartanburg. And um, at some point in time, the, the, the timeline on it is, is, is a little off because of Christopher Hampton. But at some point he went back because the media attention started to pick up locally in Spartanburg. He, so he got a little freaked out by that. So as people do who watch a lot of you know, Law and Order, or these types of crime shows, they think they're smart. So he goes and he actually takes a uh, uh, part of her skull. He's thinking that he's, he's uh, doing something that would not allow police to identify her if her remains are found, takes part of her skull, takes uh, her hands. These are the things that he thinks will prevent us from knowing uh, that it's Tamika. He put him like in a trash bag and he threw him in a dumpster. So that's why my um, sister was never able to recover everything. And um, that's something that she still really struggles with, I think, to this very day. Yeah, 2004, Black people, we, we need a body, a whole body. We need a funeral. We need remains. We need, we need to have an open casket. A lot of us, we need to see. We need to see. And, and he robs you of that. Um, Erica, as you're putting this together, because you, you, you're an activist, you're not just an actress. You, of course, you know, you're in tech. You're, you're doing your Renaissance woman. How, how difficult was this Thanks. for you to go through this story? It was awful. It was awful. I think I, I'm a naturally curious person. Like you, Karen, you talk to a lot of people and you can totally pull yourself inside and start to imagine what things are like. And if you can do that, it can be a gift. It also can be a curse because you start to get pulled in. And if you have any empathy at all, you take on some of the pain and distress of the people you're talking to. And if you're taking it on for a while and also trying to write inside of it and be respectful, but also be, bring out new things because they're telling you more, you can uh, feel overwhelmed. And I was actually uh, afraid after a while of Tamika uh, because she was showing up as a ghost to people. And I, did um, several interviews and was in Spartanburg and had talked to the family members and the aunt and the boyfriend and her best friend and a psychic and all these people who were, had been involved in the case. And by the end of it, because I was feeling really good, I thought, wow, I feel like a journalist. This must be like what they feel like. I'm feeling all good and you know, all zoomed up. I said, maybe I missed what I was supposed to do. By the time I got out of there, I was shaking. I had invited my sister who lives in Greenville South Carolina, my mother used to live there. And she came to visit me um, for a few hours before I got on a plane. And after a while, I couldn't talk to her. I remember feeling sick to my stomach and sort of saying to Charlanda, I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little distracted. And by the time I got on the plane, I was sobbing in my uh, uh, corner seat, in my uh, window seat. And then I just started writing down my thoughts because I said, I have to get rid of this somehow. And um, I started talking to Tamika. I started saying what I was thinking. I was thinking that I might let them down. I was thinking, please, whatever you do, Tamika, don't speak to me. Please let me do the work. I, um, both my parents had been, my father was a preacher. My mother was a preacher's wife, but she was a psychic. My grandmother was a witch. I said, I, I, said, I believe that there are other things that I don't understand, but this is not where I want to learn them. Let me please do my job. And then I went and bought some crystals 
from a store and I called Reverend Barber who counseled me and told me how to handle it. Reverend and then William I Barber? On, William Barber. I, I asked him to tell me how to, and I put on my big girl panties and I got to work. But I have to tell you the whole time, sometime I would look and say, okay, Tamika, don't play. But James T. Green, who was our executive producer at Molten Heart, who did all the sound and co-write with me, said he felt Tamika would come visit him and put her hand on his shoulder, on his shoulder. Wow. So he had a cousin named Chinesia who went missing. And this is the reason why he did the project. He was a very busy man, one of the best in, the, in class for it. And he said, I'm going to do this for Chinesia. And he didn't mind it, but I did. So she left me alone. Rebecca, what do you think Tamika, and we're talking with the producers of Finding Tamika, which will debut in a couple of days on Audible. It's an Audible original. Uh, and you can follow Rebecca at pink underscore funk. Okay, I don't know what that is, but that's, that's her last AKA, name. Karen, well, my, that's her last name. My maiden her... name was, okay. was is funk. funk okay. And Rebecca pink, funk. I'm an AKA, so okay. the pink, it was my line name, essentially. I got you, I got you. Okay, pink underscore, underscore. But I don't know what that means. Yes, but it, it it works, it works for her. And of course, E. Alex the Great on Twitter, E. Alex the Great for Erica Alexander. What do you think Tamika wanted us to know or wanted you to know, the people that she visited? What do, what do you think she was trying to tell you? This is something that Tamika has been doing since the time she was still missing. Um. As a as a young child, I would say by the, when Tamika was probably in middle school, maybe sixth grade, was the first time that she confided in me, and it may have been one of her real first experiences with it, uh, about her ability to communicate with people who have passed on. And it came after a, the sudden loss of her paternal grandmother, who she was very, very close to. And I remember like very vividly um, standing or sitting on the balcony of the apartment where my sister lived at the time with Tamika shortly after uh, her grandmother had passed away. And she confided in me that she has conversations that are very real with her grandmother since she passed away. So it is something that she shared with me over the years. I knew that she had a sort of psychic energy about her. She could tell things about people mm. who she had just met. Some of my, you know, I remember bringing her around some, when I was in college, bringing her around some of my friends and they almost used her like a carnival attraction, you know, where she would tell them things that she had no business knowing, had no reason to know about them. That was kind of to me because she, she could tap into that type of energy. And I think people, you either believe it or you don't, but Tamika made me a believer. But with that said, like at, while she was missing, Tamika started communicating with a woman we talk about in this series, um, a, a, an older uh, woman, retired, who was used to having visions of people who had passed along, uh, passed on, but only from her uh, like family. She had never seen a stranger. And she had this experience when Tamika was missing. She opens up her local paper, the Greenville News, and, and she starts having these visions of Tamika. And she, you know, she talks to her husband, Larry. She says, Larry, I, I can't believe this. I've, ne you know, I, I've never seen, I've never met this young woman. She's beautiful. But Tamika was showing her images um, of what had happened to her mm -hmm. that turned out to be relevant to the case. And these police, when I talk about having this good relationship with police detectives, at this point, the case was semi-cold. They were on to a few things, but they met with her and they were blown away. These are, they'll talk about these seasoned police detectives who would say, who would have probably told you the day before, 
I'd never listened to a person like this, but they were blown away with the type of details that this woman, Elaine Painter, could tell them. So Tamika is always communicated in that way. And I just feel she's kind of, even with this project, it, it came together in a very way. It's like serendipity. It came together in, in, in a very unusual way. You know, Erica and, and I had never met before. We just had a mutual friend who kind of came up with a, a vague idea of what we could do um, when our co-producer, David Person. But it, I just felt like the bar, you know, it, we, it, it was a lot of hard work, but the ball kept progressing. And um, just sometimes I think you got to believe that there is something bigger than what, you know, what our human understanding um, can explain or comprehend sometimes. But that, that's Tamika. Well, it is a story of Tamika Houston find, finding Tamika, finding Tamika, produced by Erica, of course, Erica Alexander and Rebecca Howard, uh, P underscore funk. And it will be released in a couple of days, March 3rd, on Audible. It's bigger than Tamika, but it's absolutely about this story. And I'm just grateful to both of you because I think it's important. And thank you for sharing her today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you so much.